Getting off and staying off drugs can be challenging, especially for those of us who dive so deep into our addiction and we become physically and mentally dependent upon the drug. You know, for a lot of us, that's only a piece of the challenge that we're going to face is we're stamped with a stigma where our government is going to make sure that we're held back. I want everybody listening to remember that no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it. If we're arrested, we're put in prison, and we're released back into society with all those same temptations we had before, what can we do? And today's episode is going to discuss that topic. You know, please stay tuned and remember, you have people who love you. Even if it isn't your direct family, we're all brothers and sisters in arms and we can work together. I'll see you in a minute. People I love lost faith in me. I lost faith in me and I lost my faith. Uh, I lost hope. I tried AA, but it just wasn't enough. I needed something that would help me for the rest of my life. I needed a nurturing environment that would help me understand what I was running from. His House New Creation gave me that. I found purpose, meaning, ultimately a career helping others. Recovery is a process, and I'm grateful for the journey His House New Creation helped me discover. True recovery really does begin at His House. Ready to get high as always. And my name is Eric McCoy, and this is High Wall Clean. You know, our stories within our drug abuse can lead us down different paths and sometimes make it very difficult to walk the line between the healthy life that we're seeking or falling back into the rut that we came from. One of the more difficult paths stem from a recent episode that I did on the other podcast hosted by myself and Lona Curie. Uh, it's called Walk a Mile in My Shoes, as we discussed the travesty behind this drug war. This war that was officially enacted by Richard Nixon on June 18th, 1971. And the day after publication of a special message from President Nixon to the Congress on drug abuse prevention and control, during which he declared drug abuse public enemy number one. Now, that message to Congress included text within it about devoting more federal resources to the prevention of new addicts and the rehabilitation of those who are addicted. But that part did not receive the same public attention as the term war on drugs. So two years prior to this, Nixon had a formally declared a war on drugs that would be directed towards eradication and incarceration. 
1969, he declared a war on drugs, while in 1971, it became war on drug abuse. Who would he be talking to since it was an all-out offensive, as he identified it? State, county, and federal, all-out war. And then officially creating the Drug Enforcement Administration in 1973 to coordinate the efforts at all of these levels. The consequences of this war, ironically, make it more challenging for people to remain clean because of the mark that this has left on us. We're tagged as criminals. We're stamped with felonies and supporting ourselves become more challenging with many of us left to defend for ourselves in a world that hates us. Is it impossible? No. But sadly, many of us lose this battle depending on the type of support that you have. You know, imagine being locked up away for some time. You're given a few bucks to get home once you're released, if you even have one, and nobody wanting to hire you because you're a convicted felon. Even if you are able to get a job, will it provide the type of income that you need to be able to provide housing to eat and take care of yourself? You know, we've all said at some point, you got to do what you got to do, leading many back to what they know. You know, maybe stealing to eat, selling drugs to pay your rent, or robbing a store to be able to live. Now, I'm obviously not condoning those actions, but instead I'm explaining reality. My guest today just happens to be one of my students, and he works for New Creation treatment center as a support staff and will very quickly become a counselor. Carlos Alvarado has always impressed me with his story, you know, getting back on his feet and the ability to build a rapport with clients so that they can trust him. Now we're going to discuss the dilemma that I described and be me myself being a six-time convicted felon, what it takes to break through the issue so many of us face. Thank you, Carlos, for being here today on your day off. <laughs> Sir, thank you for having me, Eric. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to share my story. Absolutely. And, you know, just as I kind of, you know, introduced this, talked a little bit about in the beginning, um, I know that you do have that story of being incarcerated, um, the recidivism of getting out and at some point in time going back. And, you know, this obviously is a story that many of us face. And so I wanted to kind of get a little bit at first, a little bit of introduction in terms of the problem that you ultimately face that led to your recidivism and going back. Um, and then I want to talk about ultimately things that we can do. And I noticed, and, and, you know, when we first started this, you gave some statistics. I'd love to hear those again. All right, Eric. Well, I was doing a, you know some some research, and I was curious to find out what are the statistics in people paroling from an institution and returning back to either either jail or prison. And there's 65 percent of inmates that have been released will return to prison or jail uh, within the first three years of their release. Those statistics skyrocket to 75 percent of inmates will return to an institution by either a violation of parole or probation or committing a whole new crime altogether. That's insane. I mean, you, you know, three quarters of the people 
that get released are going to end up back, you know, in prison. Yes. And, and again, and I'll ask you the same question. What do you think is the reason for that? Um, one can be a lack of education. Um, one can be also, like you mentioned, having a, a, a criminal record now moving forward. Um, employers opening the door or giving the opportunity for uh, an ex-con to, to get back into their workforce. Um, homelessness, um, no support once you do parole. Um, you know, the parole system itself, there is extremely limited in educating or giving ex-cons an opportunity to maybe learn a trade, learn something to, to get back in the work field. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's our choice whether we even want to get back into the workforce. Um, a lot of us are, are tied and, and caught in this web of, of drug addiction and, um, you know, easy money, for lack of better words. Um, so there's a, a bunch of different things that come together that would cause us to, to get out, maybe give it a shot for a minute. You know, you, you get out, you're motivated. You don't want to go back. When you first get out, you don't want to go back. Um, and you give it a shot. You give it a shot. You put in some applications. Um, even sitting through an interview, you know, the anxieties that come with sitting before someone and answering these questions and um, all of those things to ultimately not get a job. And, and now it's, it's, you know, it's time to eat. You know, it's time to put a roof over your head um, and you will go back to what we know how to do. You know, and I was kind of saying too, before we started this, that, you know, I mean, the travesty was our three strike law, you know, that people had where, you know, after a third strike, you know, a judge was able to, because of the way that the law was written, even though it was originally written for three violent offenses, that they ultimately were able to give, you know, people a, a life term for a possession charge on a third strike. And, you know, just imagining that, you know, you being in prison for 18 years, 20 years, even 25 years, you know, and then all of a sudden, here you go, you know, again, give you the bus money to get, get out and you got to figure it out on your own. Now that was a real travesty because, when that law was changed and the three strike law went away, um, these people weren't even on parole. You know, these people were actually just released because they had to resentence them based on what the new, what the, you know, sentencing guidelines are of today. So if you had two, two strikes and then you got a possession charge, what would they give you today for just the possession charge? plus the prior prison terms. So you may have been in prison for, you know, 25 years, but the max they could sentence you to was 12 years. So you'd served way more than your actual time. <laughs> and here you go, you know, you're on your way. And uh, I, I'm sure that a lot of those people ended up back in prison because, um, you know, especially for the people that didn't have the support. So now, now your story a little bit, um, tell us a little bit about, about your story. And, um, and then I know, obviously you did do some prison time and, um, and so where, where'd your, uh, as far as your drug use, how did, how did it begin for you? Well, throughout my journey of recovery, um, I've learned now that, that addiction, uh, has no boundaries. It does not discriminate. Um, it doesn't matter where you come from, how you were raised, rich, poor, um, what race you are. Um, it, it has no boundaries. I don't come from a background with 
where to where uh, my parents were, you know, ac- alcoholics or drug addicts. Um, and it was a choice that I ultimately made. Um, yet there's something in the DNA. There's something that, that gets passed down to where I don't believe I was born an addict. But the first time I got high, an addict was born. Um, I started off, um, you know, I think like like a lot of us, you know, smoking weed, drinking beer during, you know, through high school. And uh, the, the day came across to where I was willing to just try anything. Hey, you know, why not? Out of curiosity. Um, I came across heroin. Um, at about 16 years old. And that that was it, you know, that that was it. Um, I would say between 16 and 17, I became addicted. Um, I became physically dependent uh, of of the substance. And at 18 years old, um, I picked up, you know, my first criminal case for a possession. And that's how my my journey started into the system. Um, At 18 years old, you do feel invincible. Um, you think that you can quit whenever you want. This is not a big deal. I do this because I want to without having any type of understanding of, of what it really is that we're battling. Um, it took over 25 years to actually, actually understand what's going on. Um, nevertheless, within those 25 years, um, I've had two prison terms, uh, multiple, multiple violations. My first prison number, I was able to discharge through violations. You know, my mentality at that point was like, look, man, as long as long as I don't pick up a new case, I'll be fine. The worst case scenario is going to be a year violation, and I can do that. Um, and, and that's the way I was able to discharge that first number. Um, yeah, I've had uh, two prison terms. Started way back in 1996. At 18 years old, I went to prison for the first time. And, and to be honest, when I left that time, I never even really gave it a shot. Never gave it a shot. You go to prison. Uh, you you meet new people, um, you learn new ways to hustle, um, new ways to to make money the easy way, and it never never ends up that way ever ever. Um, and that's basically how how my my journey started in in the system. And how many violations did you do? I discharged that first number on roughly about eight to twelve violations. And so when you look at your story. How did how did that stuff play out? Now you got a good support system, right? I do have a good support system. Yes. Did you back then? I would say yes, I did. And you know what? That can also backfire too, Eric. You know what I mean? Um, there's the extreme of not having a support system, and also coming from a support system that's codependent. Yeah, you got the enablers. Right. Right. You know, when I, I remember when I got out of custody in 2002, um, you know, I had no idea what I was going to do. You know, every time I got out of custody, I always went right back to doing what I knew to do. And, and, you know, it, for me, again, it made it very, very difficult and scary in a lot of ways because you know, I ended up having to sign, I signed on a seven-year prison term that they ended up staying as long as I stayed out of trouble. And I always wondered if that was going to be enough for me, at least at first, you know, was that pain or was that pressure or was that thing going to be enough? Um, And it almost wasn't, you know, there was, there was a couple of times that I almost was ready to give up and just go back to, catch me if you can, you know, was always my motto, you know, (laughs) and, uh, 
you know, and then the fear of what am I going to do with my life? You know, I'm a six time convicted felon. Who's going to hire me? And, and that was for me, that was why I ended up getting in the field that we are, are ultimately in. Um, was that a factor for you? Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And, and um, even if you do, even if you, you do um, find a way to get a job, maybe through your parole officer, they'll give you a, a, you know, a flyer. Hey, man, these people are hiring. Um, and you, you get the job and let's say, you know, maybe a warehouse or something of that sort. And you're surrounded with other parolees, you know, other parolees who are, who are getting high on their lunch break. Um, or, or you'll meet up with them afterwards and, and the environment is, is not conducive to recovery. You know what I mean? And the fact of the matter, the reality is that a lot of the workplace isn't. So again, one more time, it boils down to, um, the willingness of the individual, you know, well, when you're ready, you know, whenever you're, you're ready to do whatever it takes. And I mean, whatever it takes. And are you willing to fight for it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I like what you said too. I mean, that's the reality is, you know, yeah, you go into custody and, and you meet new connects, you meet new people, you know, you meet a lot of those people that are not going to be a great support when you get out that will probably lead you down the wrong path. You know, all those, Hey, let's do this when you get out, you know, kind of thing. Right. And, um, and that does make it harder, you know? And then of course, yeah, just like you said, I mean, even in this industry that we're in, you know, we're working with people, obviously, that are newly sober. Um, you know, you work in this industry and you'll search bags and you'll find heroin periodically in somebody's stuff, you know, um, which is why I always warn people that, you know, especially for this industry, make sure you're stable enough and you're ready enough to be able to handle something like that. Um, and we, you know, we have to make sure that we're always moving in, in the right direction and that we're always looking at ourselves and we're evaluating ourselves and we're working on ourselves um, to, you know, otherwise we potentially can be in, be in trouble, you know? I mean, how do you feel right now? I mean, do you have, um, how, how long do you got clean now? Uh, my clean date is April 9th, 2020. Um, I'm coming up on, on 18 months. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I feel I feel great today. Um, and I'm talking about feeling great today. Um, I don't feel great every day. You know, life is still a struggle. Um, you know, life comes with, you know, change ups, curveballs, fastballs. And the difference between today and, you know, a little bit more than a year and a half ago is that. Um, I, you know, I can handle a bad day. You know, I can handle a bad day. I know that that uh, I'm putting in the work to be able to sustain whatever it is that, that comes my way. And ultimately, at the end of it all, like drinking or getting high is not the solution. It's not going to help. It's not going to fix anything. The problem will still remain. And, you know, the, the ironic thing is that the problem doesn't even last that long. You know, it, the, the problem will either resolve itself some of the time or you do the footwork, you know, you do the footwork and you put in the work to fix it to fix whatever, whatever it is, um, dealing with feelings, dealing with emotions that for many years, either I chose not to, or simply didn't know how. Um, and what did I do is you, you drown them out. You drown them out to not feel. Um, I've come to find out that like drugs and alcohol, that was not my problem. 
Drugs and alcohol were my solution to something that was deeper within other issues that I needed to deal with. And the solution um, to, to dealing with that was drinking or getting high. And when you come to a point to be able to confront those issues, um, to talk about them, to have the, the courage and the boldness to be vulnerable with someone and, um, and lay it all out on the table. And there's some type of freedom that comes with that. There's a freedom that comes along with saying, hey, man, I am an addict. No, I do have a problem. I cannot do this on my own. And you surround yourself with a, a positive support system, you know, someone that you can be completely transparent with, and you know that they're not going to judge you, um, either because they understand or because they've done worse than you have, right? Um, but today, uh, I, I feel great, um, motivated. Um, I I love what I do. Um, there's a lot that that we've learned going to school. There's a lot of um, things that we learn in the books, but nevertheless, the, the thing that's unteachable is life experience, um, to, to be able to connect with someone and, and understand what it is that they're going through. What was the turning point for you? Right. So, I mean, you were saying, you know, that, you know, with, um, you know, you being younger, you went to prison, you got out, you violated, you know, all the different times that you violated. What was, what was different this last time for you? The thing that changed my perspective on, on my drug use was really getting an understanding that it's a disease that I deal with. Um, I've had clean time in the past. I've been able to, you know, to, to get some, some clean time either by way of incarceration um, or by um, other means out in society. And this last time that, uh, before I relapsed, I had about two years clean. Uh, I'm a recovering heroin addict. Um, so everything was great, Eric, like there, there wasn't a tragedy, you know, someone didn't pass away. Um, my dog didn't run away. Everything was great. Um, recently married, um, had a great apartment, had a great job paid, you know, decent money and, uh, going out, you know, going out to have a dinner with my wife and, and sitting down and ordering that ribeye steak and that baked potato and saying, Hey man, I've, I've been working hard all week. I'm with my wife. We're at a restaurant. Uh, I'm going to enjoy a beer tonight. You know, heroin is my problem, but I'm going to enjoy a beer. It's legal. They serve it here. I'm not going to get drunk. Um, I'm just going to enjoy a beer with my meal. And uh, sure enough, the meal came. I had a beer. I drank the beer. I didn't get in a fight. Um, you know, I didn't crash my car. I made it home safely. And I figured, okay, all right, cool. You know, a couple weeks later, uh, you do it again. You know, maybe some some burgers, a hot dog and, and a cold beer within the confinement of your own home and not ever wanting to get drunk again because, you know, you know, you know where that's going to end. And again, you know, everything was OK until it wasn't you know, until it wasn't. And uh, coming through treatment this time, I understood that what I'm dealing with is a disease. And in order for me to be successful, I have to practice complete abstinence, complete abstinence from everything. And it's, it's definitely possible. There's, there's, um, there's a way to do it. There's definitely a way to do it. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, as you, as you know, that's something that we deal a lot with with clients. You know, the, the what's wrong with this? You know, um, what's wrong with drinking a little bit? What's wrong with smoking a little pot? Um, no big deal. My problem's meth. And, you know, I, and again, this is, this gives us the step up because, you know, we've 
thought that way before, you know, we've truly believed that ourselves, you know, you know, you probably heard me say before that, you know, for me, you know, I wanted to be happy, successful and stable, but I didn't want to be clean. You know, all I knew was that meth was not going to do it. So as long as I stayed off meth, I was going to be fine. Right. You know, what's, what's wrong with drinking? What's wrong with smoking a little crack? You know, what's wrong with doing some heroin? <laughs> and I literally thought that way. I mean, that's the insanity, you know, behind it, but I tried all those, you know, I tried just drinking, you know, I went into rehab in, in Cornerstone and I drank, I smoked weed throughout the inpatient. I drank through most of my outpatient um, and I was able to control it, which taught me that, Hey, you know what? I can do this. No big deal. And just like you said, I could handle it until I couldn't, <laughs> you know, and for me, it always led me back to what I really liked, which was, you know, methamphetamine. But yeah, that's a struggle that, that so many people, you know, battle. I mean, we see this a lot too with, you know, the clients that, you know, will go to a family function and then you got the family member that says, Hey, here, have a drink. And they're like, no, I'm not supposed to drink. They're like, come on, dude, really? What's wrong? You know what I mean? And there's so that you got, you know, these people even pushing the, the individuals to have a drink just because that's what's normal or a lot of times within the culture, right. you know? And, and so, yeah, that's something that is challenging, you know, to even get through to people sometimes. And, you know, the one perk that we have is again, that life experience that we can share, um, you know, to them. Uh, sadly, some people have to do it themselves to figure out that it doesn't work, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great, um, example of something that we're all gonna, that, that so many people out there, you know, face. And luckily for me, I tried them all. I did them all, everything I could think of, <laughs> you know, smoke a little, smoke some banana peel or something, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know and i and i can't I, I can honestly say too i mean it, you know i still have thoughts with certain things you know lsd for instance you know something i love non-addictive right what's wrong with that and uh but i know today that i need to keep the few brain cells that i got left uh, <laughs> and uh keep as clear clear ahead as possible um so, yeah, I mean, it's cool. I mean, that's really great, you know, that you've, you had that experience. Do you still think that way at all with anything? I do, man. I, I do. That. And, and I don't know when it'll go away. I, I still think like an addict, you know, I, I still have a, an addict mentality and, you know, I can't control my thoughts. I can only control my actions. Um, you know, I'll get, get out of a, you know, get out to go to the supermarket and notice that the car door next to me is unlocked and I'm looking inside the car and it's like, dude, what the heck are you doing, man? Like, what are you doing? And I, and I do, I, I, that's happened to me before, but guess what? I don't open the door. I don't touch what's not mine. You know, um, I do still, I, there's, there's situations that, that, you know, I still deal with, but today I, I'm in control of my actions. Yeah. As I, my big focus, you know, on this show and, and a lot of what I do is to fight the stigma of substance abuse. And part of that stigma being that we're not bad people. You know, just like you said, I mean, you know, everybody has crazy thoughts. Everybody has stupid thoughts. 
You know, even, even the non-drug abusing or alcohol abusing people have stupid thoughts. And there's, yeah, there's a big difference between thoughts and what we do, you know, and our actions. And, you know, I look at you, Carlos, and, and, you know, a lot of, you know, different people that are in recovery and we're good people. You know, we're not that image of, you know, the drug addict that's just stealing everything and robbing everybody and, and just an idiot that, you know, we, we've come to a place to where we, we have worked on, on ourselves. We care about people. You know, we, we do things today to help society, you know, instead of harm society. And I think again, and I, you know, I've said this many times that I think with us, we, you know, we have a step up then, you know, over the people that don't have these problems that haven't had these problems. Cause we work on shit that they don't work on. You know, we've got life experiences that, you know, I've said, wow, we need to really take a look at ourselves. I need to work on my self-esteem. I need to, you know, who works on their self-esteem, right? <laughs> Except for us fucking addicts, right? <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and I know obviously you've done a lot of that. Yes. Yeah. You know? And what yep. were the things that you would probably say that you have done for yourself and worked on within yourself that's helped you the most? forgiving myself. Um, we, we've all done, you know, some, some things and, and, you know, you get to treatment the first couple of days or, you know, you're, you're coming down, you're going through detox or, or whatnot. And, and um, once the dust starts to settle and you're thinking back out what just took place a week ago, you know, five days ago, and the, the people that you've hurt, the things that you've done, things that you've said, um, you know, all that, uh, <clears throat> Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Um, you know, things that we've said to, to loved ones, family members that, that you can't take back and coming finally, coming to a place of forgiving myself. Um, I know that as I, as I continue to do the best that I can, am I perfect? Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Um, I fall short every day, but I try. There's things that I can control. Um, you know, there's things that there's times that I have to take a step back. I've learned to I've learned to, to to listen, to understand the person and not listen to respond because I can hear what you're saying. But my brain is already coming up with a defense or listening really closely so that I can hear you slip up and then be able to throw that back in your face. Um, and that's the way that my brain works. And I've come to a place now where I can listen to understand, well, where is this person coming from? You know, <clears throat> that their feelings are valid, that what they're going through is valid as well. And to be able to, to learn to forgive, my, you know, myself was huge. I just recently, just recently um, started to like who I see in the mirror. You know, there's so much guilt and so much shame that that comes with, with what we did when in, in our addiction. But today I know that, that my actions and the things that I did, that's not who I am. You know, those are symptoms of my disease. Um, I would never do those things sober. It blows my mind. The things that, that, you know, we're willing to do or that we have done, you know, while we're, we're addicted, while we're in, in our active addiction that I would never do today. I would never say those things today you know, in my right mind and, you know, being able to, to forgive myself and understanding as well um, that not everybody's going to forgive me either. 
You know what I mean? That uh, it doesn't matter how, you know, how long I've had clean or, or what I'm doing today to help somebody else. Because some people, they're just not going to forgive me. And I'm okay with that today. Yeah. You know, I'm okay with that today. I, I keep my side of the street clean. I do the best that I can. I try to make amends to people um, to give me the opportunity. Now, whether they accept it or not, now that's on them. Now the ball's in their court. Yeah, now that that sends some people on a tailspin. You know, because some people do, they're like, you know, oh, I've got all this time clean. I'm going to make amends. I'm going to go. And then they're just going to forgive me. And they turn around. They're like, you know what? Fuck you. I want nothing to do with you. Right. And, uh, and so that's why, you know, we, yeah, we got to get into a place to where we, we can handle that. We can be okay with that because we don't have any control over that. You know, as we realize, I wanted to, I wanted to make a comment too. And, you know, I know you and I've talked about this, that the words hurting, right. That words never, you know, and the truth is words don't hurt, right? I can't punch you with the word. I can't throw a word at you. I can't do anything like that. But again, what hurts is the meanings that you put behind the things that people say that actually hurt us. Right. And so, you know, and again, I think it's so important that, that we look at it. We got to change the meanings, you know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of times, probably the things that people say to you that really hurt are things that you believe yourself. Because if you didn't believe it, it wouldn't right. matter. Right? So true. Um, and, you know, and I know, I mean, looking at you, I know that you've done a lot of work on yourself. I didn't obviously know you before when you were using, but I probably wouldn't have wanted to know you. Probably wouldn't have liked you, right? <laughs> <laughs> at least today, you know, in my life, you know, of today. Um, but so, so going back to the idea of, of, um, and I kind of wanted to talk about getting little ideas with you, but, you know, with, you know, people that come out of custody, you know, that, that have been doing time and they do get out. What are the things that you would recommend that they do, you know, with, and sometimes again, the support that people have is very limited sometimes. Um, and, and technicality, you know, technically parole probation really don't do much. You know, I mean, they'll give you resources sometimes and they'll try to help you out a little bit, but is that going to be enough? Is it sufficient um, for the progress that they need to make to really help themselves? What are your thoughts on that? I think that it's important to set attainable goals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't get out of prison and, and want to become the CEO of Microsoft, right? Um, but, but set attainable goals. Um, learn, how to, learn how to fill out an application correctly. Mm -hmm you know, and practice. And there's workshops, you know, there's workshops nowadays with the internet. Um, you can Google anything nowadays, uh, but, you know, take the proper steps, you know, take the proper steps, set attainable goals. Um, if that's to do, you know, it's possible to go to two interviews a week like that. That's not, that's not unobtainable. That's not asking too much, but set goals that are obtainable And that in itself, um, will help build your self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And, um, how do you build self-esteem? Then you do esteemable things, right? Um, that you know, set attainable goals. I think would be something that that is is big. It'll build your self-esteem as you accomplish. You can set bigger goals um, and and moving forward. Um, it, it's easier said than done, I guess, to say you know, be bold. You know, when you go to interviews and things like that, because we're just getting out of you know an institution. Um, there's social anxiety that comes along with, you know, with being released. Um, 
but yeah, those uh, setting attainable goals, I think would be the first thing that, that I would recommend. Yeah. That's I, you know, I think when people come into treatment too, you know, a lot of things that some of these people just lack is just life things, you know, I mean, you know, we've talked before about how, you know, you get people that come into treatment that have never done their laundry before, you know, that have never, you know, had to clean, you know, maybe they had maids that did that growing up, um, you know, just some of the basic things that we look at and we just take for granted, but some of these people don't know how to even do that. Um, you know, people that have spent many, many years in prison, you know, are going to lack, just like you said, you know, the ability to go do an interview. Um, I want to say something on this too, on that, on that topic, you know, the question always comes up that, you know, if you're a convicted felon, you get the application. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? It's always on there, right? Right. I did a test one time just for curiosity. And I went and um, I filled out different applications at different places. And I, about half the, half of them, I, uh, I put on there that I'd been convicted of a felony. And the other half, I left blank. I didn't lie on any of them, but I just left blank. I guess you could call it lying by omission, but you know, I left blank, right? And uh, 90%, I want to say about 90% of the ones that I left blank, I got a call back. I got a, I got a call for an interview. And I think probably only, I think it was only like one of the ones that I put, I was, had been convicted of a felony. I got a call back. And so, and the reason I bring this up is that, you know, if, that's why I recommend it, if you are, if you do have um, a felony on your record, unless you get into this industry, obviously this industry, they like people having felony because <laughs> we, we can relate to a little more, right? <laughs> but if you're not tried in this industry, um, leave it blank, just leave that blank. And that way, when you go in, you can tell them. Um, but a lot of times when we're able to sit there face to face, they can see us, you know, um, they can see that we have a personality that we're not just what they're seeing on paper, you know, cause a lot of places, yeah, they look on paper and they go, Oh, felony don't even, not even going to look at it. But if you don't put that on there, there's a better chance they will give you a call. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice. Absolutely. Um, but you don't want to lie because then again, you know, they may do a background check and then, you know, even if they hired you, they can get rid of you if, you know, if you, if you lied on your, on your application. So, but, um, yeah, I, I touched, I just tested that out one time. I was curious on that, you know, to see, uh, what, what the statistics would be on me getting callbacks. And I wasn't even looking for a job, but I was just, you know, sort of testing it out. <laughs> this was way, this was back when I had my place in Anaheim uh, serenity life counseling, but, uh, yeah, so you've made some huge strides, you know, in your life. And, you know, one thing, again, I, I, I see within you, and I know I've kind of said this before, but, you know, you have that demeanor, you have that ability to build the rapport with the clients, you know, um, and you've even, you know, talked about a lot of that stuff that, you know, as, as I always say that once we've got a rapport, then we can say anything we want to clients because they've got a trust in us. They have faith in us. If you don't get that rapport, you're not going to be able to really work with those people. Right. hundred percent, hundred percent. And 
and and see if you feel like you're doing that pretty well how what, what do you do i just want to ask you that what do you do to get that rapport wow um you know there, there's no format eric you know that there's really no format and um you know I, I at my job i i look forward to doing the intakes with clients when when they're coming fresh off of the street or fresh you know fresh being dropped off and and i look forward to doing that intake because that's when the rapport starts you know, when you start to, to from the very, very beginning mm -hmm. and you, you take every client accordingly, you know, and the report just start, it starts to build basically on its own. And some of it, Eric, is just listening. You know, some of it is just listening. And maybe half an hour later, you repeat something that they said 15, 20 minutes ago. And they're like, hey, man, this guy's listening to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You know, this guy's really paying attention to what I'm saying. Um you know, it's never like, oh, I know what you're feeling because I don't know what they're feeling. Um, I can maybe relate to some of the things that they've been through. Um, another thing that I've learned, too, is like uh, I look forward to, to building these relationships with the clients. And and I, I was starting to get bummed, you know, when when you don't build that rapport with someone and you're like, oh, my God, what am I doing wrong or what? What did I say? You know, is my breath stink or what's going on here? And uh, the reality is that, you know, you're, you're, it just doesn't happen. You're not going to have that rapport with every single person. And that's why our facility is great because there's different personalities. There's different staff members that they can make a connection to with somebody else, you know, with, with someone else. Um, and I think that, you know, what's huge, Eric, is that like, I, I'm just honest, brother. I'm honest. I'm transparent. Um, I got, you know, I use, you know, brutal honesty, you know, I'm honest with these people and, and, it, you know, I'm not too far removed from sitting in that other seat. You know what I mean? You, you talk to people who got 15, 20, 25 years clean and it's like, damn, dude, I could, I could barely think about tomorrow, you know, let alone, you know, 20 years from now. Um, but I tell them all the time and I'm, I'm right up the street from you guys. You know, I'm not that far removed from the seat that you're in today. And if I can do it, if I can do it, then anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. And the key is, is, is the willingness. Like you have to want this. Yeah. You have to want it. I can point you in the direction. I can give you a direction on where to go, but ultimately, you know, you're the one that puts in the work. You're the one that it's got to be honest, you know, with yourself and, and do the work that's necessary to obtain, you know, long-term sobriety. There's numerous clients that have had clean time before but are unable to obtain long-term sobriety. Um, a really, really wise man once told me that, um, you know, the point of this whole thing is, is to live in a world infested with drugs and alcohol and not do them. <laughs> Who the hell said that? <laughs> um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of things, man, that, that I that I've picked up coming to school, having you as an instructor that uh, that I that I put to practice, man. I work, I, I use them, and they've proven to work. You know, they've proven to work, and um, it, it it just makes sense. It makes sense to people. You know, I don't want to be that guy that hey, Carlos is coming, and people are you know hiding their beers and and putting things away. You know what I mean? Like if you can have a beer, man, and and you know not end up in jail, dude. Like more power to you. I know that I can't, and I've tried trial and error, and I've tried numerous times. I can't do that. You know, I I have a desire today. I want to not get high. 
if that makes any sense. It's some type yeah. of an oxymoron, but I want to not do that. You know, I want to not get high. Um, no matter what, you know, no matter what it is that, that takes place. And to, to be able to make this connection with people, um, you know, like you've said, that once you build that rapport, you can say anything <clears throat> um, because they know where I'm coming from. They know that, that deep down inside that that their well-being is my concern. Like I, yeah. I want them to do, you know, I want them to do well. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, for me, you know, it was always just to be me, be genuine, you know, and so, you know, that people can actually see that you are a genuinely caring person and, you know, and that you have empathy, you know, that you, you seek to understand part of that seeking to understand, like you said, is just listening. And that is the, that is probably one of the most important. Some of these people just haven't ever been heard and just being able to listen to the things that, that, um, you know, that they want to say. And, um, yeah, that, that rapport building is, is, you know, key. And I like what you said, you know, it's about learning to live in a world where it's at and not have to do it ourselves, Right. <laughs> you know, keep in mind that we're dealing with drug addicts, you know what I mean? And, uh, they could smell a fake a mile away. Yeah. You know, they, they will be able to see that, yeah. you know, they'll see that in regards to being genuine and, and just being who you are. Uh, if you're not, they're going to see that, you know, they, they can see it a mile away. You know, looking at, and that's, you know, part of, part of the issue with, you know, the degrees that we have in this industry, as I always like to call them, you know, you've got the therapists, the psychologists, psychiatrists, the MDs and things like that, you know, that these people can't relate to, um, you know, that part of our job is to get down to where they are, you know, to not expect them to be at a certain place, you know, or for any of us to look down upon them. You know, because, you know, we have to walk into this field non-judgmental, you know, that, that, you know, what they did, they did. And, um, and we can accept that, whatever that is, um, which gives us that ability to work with them, you know, at wherever they are, whatever level they're at. And, um, and yeah, I mean, for me, it is, you know, you know, when you look at, and I, you know, for myself, and one of the most common things that we always hear is that, you know, now that I'm clean and sober, life's going to suck, right? It's going to be boring. Um, and, you know, part of the thing that I always like to impress upon people is, no, that's not the case. You know, this is where life gets good. You know, this is where we get to get high, <laughs> clean and sober, right? right? Now right. we get to find that real highness because the highness that we find today isn't, doesn't have to go away where, you know, the illusion of highness that we get from drugs is just going to kill that ability, you know? So again, if you want to stay high the rest of your life, clean and sober is the only way to do it, right? I'm high right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I want to, and I always like to ask everybody, um, if you were to send a message out to people that are struggling and that are suffering, what would you tell them? It doesn't have to be that way. You know, when you're finally sick and tired of being sick and tired, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, reach out. Be honest, first and foremost, with yourself. Um, reach out. There, there's people. There's people like Eric and I, um, even the facility that I work at, 
genuine people who've been where you are and understand what you're going through. And, and we can point you in the direction to, to find a way out, to, to really find a way out and, and become clean and sober and really know what life really is. Mm-hmm. Um, be willing to, to face, face your past. And, and it's not to say that you're going to live in it. Um, I believe that as human beings, we tend to like identify with our struggles, um, whatever they may be. And then you kind of feel that that's who you've become and it doesn't have to be that way. There is, there's, there's another way to live and, and it's, I found it and it's, it's great. You know, it's great. And, and life isn't perfect, but it's, it's manageable today, no matter what comes my way. Um, I have a great support system around me um, to be able to be open and honest to them as well. And it's not that you're going to spill your guts to every individual that that you cross or whatever, but you got to find that one person. And you got to find that person that, that you're willing to be vulnerable with and transparent that you know is not going to judge you. <clears throat> there's hope. There's definite, you know, there's definitely hope. It's been proven. Um, the rooms are filled with them. There's there's stories. There, there's someone who's who's been through what you've gone through. Um, and there's people, man, that have gone through a lot worse. You know, you sit in with people and you, you talk to people and man, it's like, you think you have it bad. Trust me. Trust me, man. There's some people, there's some people in recovery today who have suffered far worse situations, different upbringings and different circumstances that, that um, you know, that they've had to live through and, and have been able to overcome. Um, that ours, our stories are, are nothing compared to theirs. Uh, be willing. Listen, I'm going to tell you a secret. You don't know it all. You know, you don't know it all. Damn. And when I came to understand that, man, that I don't, man, I, I don't, I don't know it all. And there, there's people that, that um, have been there. And, you know, as long as you're not asking me to commit a crime, you know, if you're not asking me to, to do something that, that's morally wrong, I'm going to follow directions. You know, I'm going to listen. I was told that you find someone, find someone that has what you want and do what they do. And I've been able to do that. I've been able to do that. My, you know, my life is a complete 180. Um, it didn't come free. There's, there's hard work that, that comes along with it. And um, the results the results will be seen. You will see the results. If I wasn't getting results doing what I do today, I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't do it. If, if my life was not changing or if my life had not changed, I wouldn't continue to live a life clean and sober because to be blunt and to be honest, I love getting high. I like to get high. Um, and if I wasn't getting the results that I'm getting today, if my life wasn't better living clean and sober, if being clean and sober sucked, then I might as well get high. But today, my life is great, um, complete 180, completely turned around, going the other direction. I've been blessed with the opportunity to, to, help, to help other people, to help other addicts. Um, if, I'm able to, if I'm able to do this for the rest of my life, I'll never work again. Yes, I have a job. And yes, there's rules and regulations that I, that I have to uphold for the company. But I don't go to work every day. I've had a job before believe it or not. You know, I've had a job where it sucks, man. And you dreading going to work. And, you know, I'm that guy that's there half an hour early. You know, I'm the guy that's willing to stay, you know, half an hour after. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I love what I do. I, I, I found my purpose. I love what I do. And it's not to say that everybody 
that's listening is going to be a drug and alcohol counselor, but find your purpose, mm-hmm. you know, find your purpose, find what, what you're called to do. Um, dude, maybe sometimes it's just to be a good dad, you know, to be a good husband, you know, whatever it may be, find your purpose. And um, yeah, you'll find, you'll find life in that. Yeah. Find that thing that means more to you than the drug itself. Yeah. And I, you know, that commitment, you got to be committed. You know, that, that goes back to, you were kind of talking about in the beginning is that, you know, staying, you got to stay clean and sober no matter what, no matter what happens, you know, and I, you know, I ask people all the time, you know, what could happen in your life that you'd get, get loaded over. And that's, that's the thing that we really want to, that's, that's what you really want to work on. If you got an answer to that, you got to figure out how to be able to get through that, you know? Um, well, Hey, Carlos, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I want to thank you for having me, Eric. Absolutely, man. And uh, Carlos, I want to let you know, keep getting high, brother. But do it clean, right? (laughs) All right. Again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of High Wall Clean. And again, keep getting high. But let's do it clean. Thanks. Thanks.